it's a horrible illness and it's not just the person who has it, but all the caregiving that's done by family and by professional caregivers and the change in somebody with dementia from being a competent, independent, able person to being a dependent person who's in some cases their personality changes horribly is very hard to deal with. Hey, midlifers, welcome to the Midlife Makeover Show. Are you ready to break free from your mundane midlife? Are you feeling trapped in a vicious cycle of rinse and repeat days? No matter if you're experiencing a divorce hangover, job burnout, or you just have the midlife blues, I got you. Hey, I'm Wendy, your hostess of the Midlife Mostess. I too was hit by midlife like a freight train. I too felt stuck in the same dull chapter. I wanted the clarity of how to create a new life beyond divorce and the courage to leave an unfulfilling career. But I kept telling myself that I wasn't worthy and it was just easier to stay in my comfort zone until I found a little secret, the freedom to live my life my way. In this podcast, you will learn how to achieve a vibrant midlife mind and body, how to create solid relationships through love and loss, and how to create an awesome second half of life. Grab your grande latte, pop in your earbuds, and let's get this midlife party started. Hey everyone, Karen McMahon here, host of the number one high-conflict divorce podcast, Journey Beyond Divorce. Each week we share expert advice on everything from negotiating custody to finding hidden money to regulating your emotions. Do you know that leaving a high-conflict marriage is one of the hardest journeys you'll ever take? We bring you the legal, financial, and emotional resources to divorce successfully while becoming healthier, more resilient, and excited about your future. So tune in to Journey Beyond Divorce each week for wisdom, guidance, and encouragement. You'll find us on your favorite podcast platform. Welcome back to the Midlife Makeover Show. Today, we are discussing a very important topic that can impact your aging parents, yourself, your friends, and even your children. It's the topic of dementia. If you ever worried about memory loss, then you definitely want to listen to today's episode. Our guest expert is Dr. Mitchell Kleonsky, author of the book, Dementia Prevention, Using Your Head to Save Your Brain. He is a board-certified neuropsychologist who specializes in evaluating and treating patients with cognitive impairment, dementia, ADHD, and traumatic brain injury. As a husband and wife team, Dr. Mitchell and his wife, Dr. Emily Kleonsky, have combined 70 years of professional and clinical experience in medicine and neuropsychology and have treated, listen to this, 20,000 patients. Wow. They partner at a private practice, Kleonsky Neurosystems, based in Springfield, Massachusetts. They are experienced public speakers, podcast guests, and workshop presenters for general and professional audiences. Welcome to the show. Wonderful to be here, Wendy. I'm so impressed with myself that I actually pronounced all of that. That was a great read. I got a Kleonsky and neuropsychology and Massachusetts. I mean, I'm just, I'm doing good today. It's the trifecta. 
<laughs> Welcome to the show. I was telling you before we hit record that I have not had anyone on the show to talk about this topic. And I think about it for myself. I mean, okay, I'm 51. And you have to think about some of these things. Like, I actually have a, a dear friend of mine that she's in her 60s and she, I'm noticing some early signs of dementia. So I'm a little like worried about it myself. Um, and I want, I'm so curious to find out how to prevent it. Mm -hmm. Well, 80% yeah. of the people over the age of 50 are either somewhat or very concerned yeah. about dementia. So you're not alone. Is is it preventable? Nah. Yes, of course it is. <laughs> we're in, we're in the book. <laughs> oh, shoot. What a bit a dreadful show. <laughs> short, very no. short book. Sorry. No, nothing here. Uh, you know what? Seriously, though, I'm so glad that you said that because so many people think that it's not. And that's one yeah. of the myths that we try. And here's what I uh, try to dispute. Yeah. Here's what's really interesting. One out of two cases mm -hmm. are preventable. It's a 50% prevention. Hmm. And that's not my data. That yeah. comes from three very large scale studies. Two that were done by this blue ribbon panel in the United Kingdom called the Lancet Commission. Mm -hmm. The first time they went about doing this, they assembled like 25 scientists. Back in 2017, they published their first work and they found these nine factors that they said if people did these, they could reduce their dementia risk by about 40%. Wow. About three years later, they published a subsequent paper adding three more factors, so now they had 12, and discovered that their increase by several percent in prevention. Hmm. Well, three years after that, in the United States, a group using the data from the U.S. Health and Retirement Survey used the same factors, and they got a 60% reduction rate. Hmm. Now, their models include 12 factors. Our model includes those 12 plus another eight. Ah, well, I mean, you're an overachiever. <laughs> We're missing some things. And <laughs> that's what what's really important. Everyone's looking for what's the thing I can do yeah. to reduce my dementia risk. And I usually tongue-in-cheek tell them, buy this book and read it. Because mm -hmm. it isn't one thing. It is a yeah. bunch of things and you have to see which ones are applicable to you, mm. which is why we include a dementia prevention checklist, both in the group and for free on our website that people can download and figure out where they stand on through going through these 25 questions. They can get an assessment of where they're on target, where they're off target, and when they're in between, just sort of near target areas that mm. just need to be picked up a little bit. So some solutions work for some people and not for others. Yes, and some yeah. solutions are applicable. For example, mm -hmm. the solution of uh, exercise. If you're already doing a lot of exercise, you're already doing that. You're already on target. You don't have to worry about that. If you're a teetotaler, then any advice we give you about alcohol will not be applicable yeah. to you. If mm -hmm. you don't take uh, benzodiazepine medications like Valium, Librium, Ativan, being able to control that or reduce that will not be applicable. So it's really a, a tailored approach. It's like, you know, a bespoke suit. You got to make it 
tailored to fit your body because it's not the same body that everybody else has. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. What, what causes it? Ah, so on the there flip are many side causes. Yeah. So that's the whole idea. So when we talk about dementia, mm-hmm. this is a broad category. It relates to progressive neurological decline. So these are brain illnesses. Yes. Most people have only heard of Alzheimer's disease, which mm-hmm. is one of the dementias and may or may not be the most frequent dementia. There's debate about this. People who follow the, you know, the news about celebrities recently are also familiar with Bruce Willis with frontotemporal dementia. Mm. And it's a different type. And the people who were familiar with Robin Williams were familiar with Lewy body dementia, a different kind that's related to Parkinson's disease in most people. But it's also one of the biggest factors is cardiovascular and cerebrovascular disease. So the stuff that affects our circulation to our heart and to our brain. brain. And that's usually present in a lot of these kinds of dementias and actually offers most of the important modifications. So whatever's good for your heart is good for your brain. I have a question. Um, Well, considering we're in an interview, that's probably great. (laughs) If dementia starts to set in, is it reversible? Depends. Depends. Uh, It depends on the type. It depends on when you discover it. And it depends on which of those factors are are present. You know, when we talk about reversible, let me substitute the word uh, improvable. Okay. Yep. Because Mm -hmm. for most people, if somebody has true dementia, now there are things that they call pseudo dementias. They're not real dementias. They just look like it. They're like imitation dementias. Mm -hmm. One of the biggest is depression. People Mm -hmm. are horribly depressed, will have terrible memories. And yet, if you treat them with medication, psychotherapy, oftentimes they come out of the depression, they're right as rain. Mm -hmm. If you are drinking excessively Mm -hmm. and you stop drinking and also replace your thiamine, your vitamin B1, which is often depleted by alcohol, Mm -hmm. you can have an amazing improvement in your cognition. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, so you know, people can have uh, temporary delirium. Uh, delirium is when you are have a lot of confusion. It can be caused by uh, lack of oxygen following surgery. It can be caused by anesthesia. It can be caused by other temporary factors, including brain inflammations. You get bitten by a tick. You get right. bitten by a mosquito. Temporary changes that look just like dementia but aren't yeah putting those people aside okay so you have a real dementia not a pseudo dementia most of what we hope to achieve is a stability in stopping the progression the worsening of this condition which is the natural course of brain diseases they get worse Mm -hmm. and we've been able to demonstrate that in some subgroups, we can get them to improve by about 15% 
and then stay at that level for several years or more going forward. So that's for me, when someone comes in to see me, the first goal is to find out, do they have dementia or something that's an early sign, a precursor called mild cognitive impairment. Mm-hmm. So they're not quite there yet, but right. they're not at their normal level. We know that the people at MCI, mild cognitive impairment, much higher risk mm-hmm. for becoming demented, but they also are in a state where we can find things that we can improve. Oftentimes, they can go back to being like they were. So mm-hmm. there it is still uh, reversible. But for the other people who are already in dementia, we're just trying to get them back into mild cognitive impairment level. Right. And we rarely can get them back the whole way to normal cognition. I'll so, admit, I thought with dementia, it was just Alzheimer's. Most people do. In fact, what they say yeah. to me is, what's the difference? Or when I'll talk about their test results, I'll say you have a form of dementia called vascular dementia. And sometimes they'll say, well, thank goodness, I thought it was Alzheimer's disease. I say, not so fast. It's not necessarily better. It's just different. So what exactly is Alzheimer's then? Alzheimer's is a type of dementia. It's typically characterized by specific changes inside the brain. There's two things that have been found. used to be on autopsy, but now we've got some tests, both a scan called a PET scan, mm-hmm. positron emission tomography, PET, that can pick up on the levels of a substance in our brain called beta amyloid. We also have blood tests that we can use to determine if someone has excessive beta amyloid or the buildup of another protein that's called tau, T-A-U, tau protein, which mm-hmm. causes a breakdown in the actual brain cells. Uh, the, the beta amyloid plaques primarily interfere with transmission of information. The problem with these tests is that while they're pretty accurate in assessing what's going on in those levels, there are people with high levels of beta amyloid who have perfectly normal thinking and will always have till the day they die. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of people who don't have these beta amyloid plaques and have dementia. So Mm -hmm. it's somewhat helpful, but current strategies of the newest medications are to try to remove the plaques. Uh, That is very good at removing plaques, but people don't get better thinking when they do this. Yeah. So it's, it's I'm a skeptic of those drugs, by the way, we have drugs that have been out since the 1990s, which I am a fan of Mm -hmm. and recommend routinely in my patients. But the newest ones, these infusion, very expensive infusion medications I'm not convinced that they're doing anything that's going to improve people's outcomes in the future. Yeah. I had uh, two grandparents uh, that had Alzheimer's. Um, And then I I mentioned my friend earlier. Um, My dad actually is going through, uh, he's got cancer. And I've noticed since the cancer came along, the throat cancer, he's also had some memory loss. Um, so that's what I was kind of asking, like if, if there's some things like as they, as those go away, does that, can that improve? Yeah. It possibly, you know, if your dad's on chemotherapy, for example, there's this thing, Mm -hmm. which is talked about called chemo brain, 
where yes. the chemotherapy yep. agents get in the way of thinking, and those are improvable. There's mm-hmm. a type of uh, brain illness called normal pressure hydrocephalus, which mm-hmm. is caused by a buildup of fluid inside the brain. Mm-hmm. And if you discover that and go in and fix the underlying problem, people can go back to being very normal afterwards. Yeah, interesting. Now, is is it uh, is dementia hereditary? Mostly not to a great extent. Mm-hmm. For most people, the actual contribution of genes is only about 5%. Yeah. There are some particular family groups that have er- very early onset dementia, usually in their 50s. Mm-hmm. But you know if you've got this because pretty much everybody in your parents' generation right. has dementia very early on. Mm-hmm. But for the most of the people that you're going to be talking to and your listeners and your viewers... Uh, it's a small contribution. And even if you have, for example, two pairs of what's called the APOE4 allele, which is a genetic thing that you can inherit from each of your parents, mm-hmm. and this is associated with a higher risk of dementia. Let's suppose both of your parents have this. Mm-hmm. Statistically, your risk is higher. Mm-hmm. However, the things that work for dementia prevention will still work for you. It may not be quite as successful statistically, right? But you know, if there's a seventy percent chance of rain tomorrow, yeah, <laughs> that means that there's also a thirty percent chance that it won't rain. Exactly. Yeah, you, you know, it's it's a question of how lucky do you feel and how lucky are you, and yeah. what can you do to improve your health in the meantime? And that's what we focus on: is rather than looking at the larger statistics is talking yeah. to the individual, making their life as good as possible. Right. Yeah. I mean, the sooner the better. And I feel like the more proactive we can be in our lives, the better. I mean, it's easier, right, to prevent rather than to repair. It's much easier. It's yeah. also much cheaper. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. You know, somebody once said that, uh, you know, why are we spending our time trying to fish people out of the river when we should be upstream figuring out why they're falling in? Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. And I think that's true for dementia to a large extent. We don't yeah. oftentimes, you know, by the time people come to see me, sometimes it's very early and they're saying my family has a rich history yeah. and I'm starting now to forget where I put my coffee cup. Right. Other people, they're coming in and they've got no clue that they've got dementia and mm. the family's been postponing this for three, four years. By the time they walk through the door, it's pretty clear after they've told me the same story three yeah. times in the first five minutes that yeah. they've got significant cognitive loss. But our options are very limited at that point. And it's a shame because I just wonder what we might have done had mm-hmm. we seen them earlier in the yeah. process. Yeah. What what inspired you to get into this, to this this niche, this line of this line of uh work? Initially, Although you probably don't think of it as work. It's probably, this is your passion. This is your, this is your icky guy, your purpose. Yeah, it is. It really is. Uh, and it, it wasn't originally, I, you know, was originally uh, studying clinical psychology, got a PhD in clinical psychology, was really interested in stress management, did some work, published some things in there, used to do workshops for individuals and for executives and groups. 
And I thought that's what I was going to do. I dabbled with the idea of getting into uh, doing some things on TV as a doctor. Uh, <laughs> I was out in L.A. in the, the 1980s doing that, uh, trying to break in. There wasn't a, it was the wrong timing. Nobody wanted to stress doctor. <laughs> but then I became more interested over time in brain and the way our brains work, I was fortunate to go to a graduate school where there were some early pioneers mm. in the field of neuropsychology, mm. which really is a post-World War II kind of phenomenon. Yep. So uh, it's only really become fashionable and popular just maybe in the last 15, 20 years. Yep. When I first started seeing people for dementia evaluations in the 1980s, mm -hmm. We basically would not use the term dementia in terms of our advertising or our outreach. We didn't even use the term memory testing. Mm -hmm. We used to call, and still do, our batteries of tests adult performance tests. You like that? The adult yeah. performance test, because it was too scary for people back then to say yeah. they're a dementia expert. Yeah. I then had the... Uh, I don't know, the double-edged sword of also becoming a consumer when my mother mm. developed signs of dementia. And on one hand, it was extremely difficult and sad. On the other hand, it gave me a perspective that most neuropsychologists don't get, and I certainly had not had. And in some way, her life and what happened to her is part of the motivation for the book and for the work we do mm. is I don't want other people to have to go through this. Yeah. And I certainly don't want my children to have to go through what I did with my mom. So that puts me in a position of looking every day at, okay, what am I doing today to yeah. prevent dementia? Well, and it affects so many people. I have a, another friend where her, her dad also has dementia. And I mean, it really gosh, it affects everybody. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a horrible illness. And it's not just the person who has it, but all the caregiving that's done by family and by professional caregivers and the change in somebody with dementia from being a competent, independent, yeah. able yeah. person to being a dependent person who's, in some cases, their personality changes horribly. Yeah. Is, it's very hard to deal with. Are there sights, sounds, or smells that remind you of a past traumatic event, causing you to fight, flight, or freeze? These physical and emotional responses are called triggers, and they happen to all of us. Triggers can be tricky, but the key is to stop the trigger in its tracks and turn the trigger into a treasure. Just like Dr. Nicole LaPera said, there's nothing negative about being triggered. It's a calling to heal our wounds. To help you heal those wounds, I created a free download called the Trigger to Treasure Technique, where you will learn the four steps on how to identify your triggers, how to control your triggers, and how you can move past your past so you can live peacefully in the present moment. Please go to wendyvalentine.com forward slash trigger to receive your free download, and you can begin to turn your triggers into treasures. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to witness that. So let's talk m more about preventing dementia. Good. What would you <laughs> like to ask? Yeah. <laughs> well, you said there's what twenty? Did I? 
the model that yeah the model that we have has about 20 factors in okay. it uh and i can break them down into some general areas yeah probably the one that's the ones that are most significant in midlife mm-hmm. are the cardiovascular factors mm-hmm. so we got a cluster of things mm-hmm. that include obesity mm-hmm. high blood pressure diabetes so these are all intertwined. People who tend to be overweight mm-hmm. also tend to be hypertensive and they have to be very careful to control their blood pressure because the spikes in blood pressure and the wear and tear on the circulatory system mm-hmm. don't just damage our heart, but they go up through the blood vessels to our brains mm-hmm. and damage the ability of our blood vessels to carry oxygen and nutrients to all the deep areas of our brain. Mm-hmm. And they create this thing on, we see on MRIs called white matter changes, mm-hmm. which damage the connectivity of different parts of our brain. Wow. Smoking, by the way, is one of those things that horribly impacts blood pressure, yep. as well as lung function. Mm-hmm. So we have to work on you know people quitting smoking. Mm-hmm which is a hard thing, as you know, there's a lot of people out there, including myself, who are former smokers, and we look back on it and shudder at what we did to our bodies back in our early lives. But also what goes into this whole formula is activity, exercise. How do we get Just people moving your body, right? Like I try to always tell people, like, don't think of it as exercise. Like some people are like so anti-exercise, like just moving your body, just walking, just doing yoga, just doing something, right? Dancing is really great because it also involves coordination. It also (laughs) involves, you know, being able to remember steps and things like that. Uh, Though I find that uh, I I dance best by myself in the dark. (laughs) Yeah, I dance best on Instagram, so... (laughs) I get but, the most views. <laughs> but the movement part of it is so critical. And, yeah. you know, I have a formula for people who don't exercise. I'll share it with you if you like. Yeah. It's, I call it the 10 by three formula. Mm-hmm. I want people to walk 10 minutes, three mm-hmm. times a day. Nice. Yeah. Easy. Here's why it works. Mm-hmm. It's additive. So that makes 30 minutes of walking a day, 210 minutes a week. That's mm-hmm. right in the sweet spot of by the major medical groups of 150 to 300 steps a week. Mm-hmm. Secondly, if you walk briskly, which is fast enough to get your heart up, right, slow enough that you can still talk. So that's what brisk walking is. Mm-hmm. You will walk about nine or 10 miles a week, mm-hmm. which is also impressive for a lot of folks. Yep. What really makes this work is that it's really hard to talk yourself out of. And that's what gets in the way of most people exercising. Yeah. It has to involve going to a gym or buying equipment, which is going to drive their clothing in the future. (laughs) It involves them having better shoes or the weather's got to be just perfect or they've got to have that hole in their calendar so they can squeeze it in. Yeah. Talking five minutes out and five minutes back. Yeah. And you can do other things. You can talk on the phone. You can listen to a podcast. Mm -hmm. You can listen to music. There's a lot of things you can do during that time to make sort of double dip, which is real nice. Uh, 
No, I love I love that. Um, the 10-3 method. So you, yeah. So yeah. that's one of the ways we get people started. Then they can build from that if they want to do more or stretch themselves, but so brief and it's not that exerting, avoids injuries. I, I always shudder when people say, Well, I used to run marathons. I'm gonna get back into training. And they're now, you know, 65 years old. And the last time they ran, they were 40. Yeah. I know they're gonna end up at the orthopedist's office. Yeah. Well, uh, I think I'd mentioned to you earlier about the the blue zones. And that's one of the the key things is that they move their bodies. Like to live to a hundred, they're just moving their bodies, but none of them belong to a gym. Yes. And I think that's like a typical American mindset that in order to be healthy, you have to join some fancy gym and you got to work out seven days a week. You got to do it. Like it does not have to be that involved. I literally, I mean, if you're watching on YouTube right now, I'm in my RV. I do yoga right here in the RV. I walk. I like, you don't have to make it that complicated. And actually, if you do, that causes stress and that's not good. And you're also not likely to do it on a regular basis. Right. So it right. fails. You know, the people who try to go out and do a lot and then they yeah. injure themselves and they're down for the count for a yep. couple of weeks or more. Yeah. They're, they're losing the benefit that they tried to gain. It's far better to do something that's well within your capabilities and mm -hmm. then to gradually increase it at your own rate knowing that if you have a bad day or you get sick or there's another problem, you can cut back and go at it again the next time without giving it up entirely. So yeah, that, exactly. it's that, that regularity that's really important. Sleep mm -hmm. is also really important. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Both the amount you sleep, you want to make sure you get at least six hours sleep. We also now think that when you go to sleep, in terms of the consistency over time, is important. Uh, you don't have to be rigid about it, but you you want to sort of go to bed around the same time and have consistent mm -hmm. sleep. But here's the secret sauce. How you breathe while you sleep mm. is critical. Hmm. So we've known for a long time that oxygen getting to our brain is essential to make an energy molecule called adenosine triphosphate, otherwise known as ATP. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We also have known for the past couple of years about a newly discovered system in our brains called the glymphatic system. Its job is to flush out the toxins that build up during the day while we're sleep while we're awake. Mm -hmm. it's supposed to do this while we're sleeping. That doesn't work when there's not enough oxygen getting to our brain. Mm -hmm. So a bunch of folks out there, including me have something called obstructive sleep apnea, OSA. Uh, yep. Which means that at least five times every hour while you're sleeping, you stop breathing mm. or your oxygen drops by 4%. Mm -hmm. So even mild sleep apnea, five to 15 times per hour that you're not breathing, will have a significant effect on your energy, will mm -hmm. cause you typically to snore so you don't make such a great bed partner <laughs> and impact your sexual functioning as a man. Turns out 50% of the men who go for the little blue pills also mm -hmm. have sleep apnea because you don't get enough oxygen getting to all the endpoints of your body. 
And oftentimes you wake up in the morning feeling foggy and you can't think. Right. All of which is correctable or improvable by people who identify it and treat it. Yeah. Now, we used to just think it was fat people. Now we know it's not. It's people of all sizes and both genders. How much does diet play a part into in preventing dementia? To the extent that it keeps your weight from being too high or too low, diet is really important. Mm-hmm. Now, in America, we all want to eat our way into better cognitive health. Yes. That's just the way we are. <laughs> we have a lot of stuff <laughs> about food. Yeah. You know? Where was it grown? Is it within a 10-mile radius <laughs> of my house? Was it picked under a full moon? Uh, how was handled all these things we get really involved in because generally most of us have enough right yeah so we have to get into okay how's it handled what's it done and what's the right food to eat is it strawberries is it dark blue blueberries is it green leafy (laughs) things guess what the only way that you really can see a difference in outcomes of dementia is when you contrast the people with the best diet and those with the worst diet. Mm. So if you're spending your eating time at the fast food place, right, and you're not getting enough vegetables and fruits as a normal person does in the United States, then you probably need to up your game and eat a better diet. Yeah. But all those books out on the Alzheimer's diet and you know, yes. what foods to eat, they don't really have much to offer. Yeah. But it seems like they do. So people, you know, they could say, well, but I eat a really good diet. And they'll tell me, you know, for breakfast, I have this. And for lunch, I have this. And I make sure I've got all this. And I take these little pills where they've condensed all the <laughs> vitamins into little things. And I say, that's wonderful. But you know something? You're missing the mark. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's not like you have to have some perfect diet to be able to just be healthy and prevent dementia. It's the same way with supplements. Right, right. The supplement industry is billions and billions of dollars for things that, unless you have a deficiency in vitamins, generally, you know, you get what you need from food, maybe a multivitamin. Right. But I see people come in with bags full of stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, here's all the supplements I take, and most of them have foreign names that are you know, very long multisyllabic names that someone's told them will help them with something. Yeah. Problem with most of those supplements is that they're not regulated, so we don't know what has what in it. But mm-hmm. more importantly, they don't get, they don't reach high enough levels in our bloodstream to actually cross into our brains. Mm-hmm. So we're mm-hmm. eating them and they all support something that's good. And there's usually mm-hmm. nothing bad in them, but they don't actually do anything except get digested and go into the toilet. Yep. I mean, it seems to me overall, whether it's preventing dementia or just being healthy, it's going back to the basics. I feel like we've been trying to reinvent the human body and like, it's, <laughs> it's great the way it is. Like, just give it what it needs. I agree with you. And I'm also yeah. a bit down on people say, well, you know, we need to have more whole foods like it did in the 1900s. And mm. I said, well, yeah, but the average person lived only to be 50 in the 1900s. 
Yes. Yeah, that's true. So we didn't really encounter most of the things that involve dementia are diseases of aging. Mm. The older you get, the higher your risk. You know, if you're in your 60s, your statistical risk is about 10%. Mm-hmm. Get into your mid-70s, it doubles. So you get about a 20% risk. You mm. get into your mid-80s, if you're lucky enough to get there, your risk is about 40%. Mm-hmm. And then it stabilizes at that point for the rest of your life. Right. But people back in the 1900s didn't have much of this risk because they didn't live that long. They, they didn't, yeah, they didn't even get the chance to, <laughs> to, to like, get the dementia. Yeah. If your machine yeah. breaks down before it wears yeah. out, well, then you think, well, this machine will last forever. But it yeah. doesn't because it just never got used long enough. Yeah, very interesting. So where can we find your book? It's in a lot of places. You can get it online through Amazon, Barnes & Noble. They have it in Walmart. Yeah. Uh, it's published by Johns Hopkins Press. So oh, I guess cool. the important point there I would make is that we particularly chose an academic press mm-hmm. because you have to jump through hoops. You have to get vetted by experts in the field, scientific experts, because they're not willing to publish something that isn't scientifically based. Mm-hmm. So we went there, but we wanted a crossover book. We didn't just want to sell 30 books to academics. We yeah. wanted to be able to reach a lot of people by publishing something that was readable, that people right. could enjoy, that had anecdotes, that had jokes in it, that had stories, <laughs> that translated the science into information that people could use. So you have to be the, the judge of whether we've accomplished that, but that was our purpose. It's yeah, also an you know, audio book. Oh, good. Oh, did do you actually read it? Are you in the I, no, no, thankfully they did not when I offered to do that. They said, no, ah. no, we get professional readers. They got this wonderful actress oh. named Nan McNamara, who's a voiceover. She does a lot of different things, but she's out and she's LA based. And uh, the, the funny I've thing heard about of this, her, her name sounds so familiar. She's yeah. wonderful. She mostly did, she did a lot of video games, but she's also done a lot of voiceover for books. What was funny is when I first started listening to her narrate the book, there's a joke that I wrote that's in the first part of the book. When she said the joke, I laughed and I heard yeah. that joke <laughs> and I wrote it. <laughs> uh, you know, I have a great suggestion for everyone. You download the audiobook and then you do the 10-3 walking method and listen to the book. That's perfect. I'm going to do perfect. that. Yeah. Perfect. And actually, you know what I'll do too? I will add your book because I have an Amazon store. So I will add your book on there as well. Amazon.wendyvalentine.com. So I'll add your book on there, but I definitely want to read it and listen to it um, for myself and for other people too that are that are going through that or or just to prevent. We also have a email address Mm. that people can get in the back of the book if they've got any questions of us. And I respond to the questions. So if somebody has something in particular, I won't give out real personal advice for the most part, Mm -hmm. but I I will help people get hooked up with somebody if they need to be seen or answered. One of the ones that was interesting that we had not even looked at that just came in was somebody asked about uh, people who routinely do sauna bathing. Uh-huh. And I was surprised at the amount of scientific literature there uh-huh. was 
that suggested that the cardiovascular effects of going to a sauna regularly may help reduce your risk of dementia. So that may be part of something we add to the next edition of the book in a couple of years, but it's an interesting kind of thing and yeah. looks to have been studied relatively thoroughly. I mean, that's mm. the important thing. There's a lot of fads that come through. So I don't I want know. to jump that's, on everything. That's what's hard though. I think nowadays we just get flooded with so much information. A lot of it's really good. A lot of it's just like fads. And then you don't know what to do, what not to do. So I love that you have all of this in your book because we, we need more stuff like this. I agree. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of information and some disinformation out there. Mm-hmm. And then you mentioned the test that you can take. You can do that on your website. Yes. If you go up to BrainDoc, BrainDoc.com, and you click on the dementia prevention link, It'll allow you either to take the test online mm-hmm. or you can download, it's called Dementia Prevention Checklist. Mm. What's going to be coming out in the next probably month to six weeks is that after you take the test, you're going to be able to also print out your own colorized map. So that you can see where your strengths and weaknesses are and be able to focus more on what those changes need to be. Because it's not going to happen just magically. In many cases, it's a matter of, okay, how do I change? And especially in midlife, that's a really important part for designing, Mm -hmm. you know, what you're going to be like over the next 30, 40 years. Yep. I mean, I, I think a lot about, okay, what is 80-year-old Wendy going to be like? What do I want her to be like? Like, the steps that I take now are going to impact her. Like, I've got to take care of her, right? And and I think about my kids, too. Like, I don't want them having to worry about me. I think about my um, my Aunt Annie. She is turning 91. She is very... She's not like a extreme healthy person. Like she's not somebody like, I only eat this and I only eat that, but she eats well. Mm -hmm. She moves her body. She's, she stays like, she has a purpose through her music, things like, I was like, I want to be like Aunt Annie when I grow up. That's, that's my goal. Yeah. Well, I think that's an achievable goal. And I think it's wonderful to have a model like that. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be like Wonder Wendy. Yeah. (laughs) Don't we all? <laughs> you need to be dancing in the dark in your little one point <laughs> <right>. outfit. <laughs> You've been so awesome. You've been great. Thank you. Yeah, this I've, is I've thoroughly enjoyed this. And, yeah, and I anyone out there listening, make sure you send this to someone that needs it. I mean, I think we all need it. Mm-hmm. Everybody does. It's part of how we age in a way that's yeah. creative and positive. Which, you know, life is going to happen to you one way or another. You might as well try to take control over it and do what you can do. Redesign yourself as you age. I really think that that's the whole key to living is adaptation. Yep, exactly. Yeah, taking care of that beautiful brain Mm -hmm. underneath all this hair. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. You've been awesome. Hopefully I'll meet your wife someday too. Love to come back with her and uh, do another one with you, perhaps. Emily is incredible. She's uh, somebody who at age 43 decided to go to medical school. Woo, 
Oh, good for her. It's never Full too late. story there. Yes. Wow. That is so awesome. All right. Thank you so much. Did this podcast inspire you, challenge you, trigger you to make a change or spit out your coffee laughing? Good. Then there are three ways you can thank me. Number one, you can leave a written review of this podcast on Apple iTunes. Number two, you can take a screenshot of the episode and share it on the social media and tag me, Wendy Valentine. Number three, share it with another midlifer that needs a makeover. You know who I'm talking about. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Get out there and be bold, be free, be you.